As I uh, get ready to give this pulpit over to Dr. Kramer, I just want to say thank you again to him. And I don't know if you realize what a joy and privilege it is, is to sit with your family and receive the ministry of the word. It's a rare privilege for me. And so I, it's a few times a year I get to sit with my wife, sit with my family, and take a nap. Just no. Uh, <laughs> And, and receive the ministry of the word. So I'm eagerly looking forward to it. Uh, I don't need to introduce. Dr. George Kramer is uh, elder, chairman of the elder board, and um, professor in, in dentistry. And so he knows how to get to the root of the issue. And uh, we can count on him to do so today. And we thank you, George. It is a daunting task to stand behind this pulpit. It's even more daunting when your pastor is sitting directly in front of you. <laughs> I watch him during the sermon. When he's, when he's doing this, I keep talking. <laughs> when he does this, I talk faster until he does this. <laughs> so that's where we are today. And I appreciate Buzz this morning. He didn't come by to pick up his hearing device. Thanks for the confidence, Buzz. Thank you. Well, today is Father's Day. When I was uh, picked to do the sermon today, I didn't think much about Father's Day, but I'll say just a quick word here. I think if you had a father um, whom you can think of lovingly, uh, who was there for you while you were growing up, provided for you, um, loved you, cared for you. You were surely blessed, were you not? And uh, that's why we can look on this day, Father's Day, as a special day. But you know, the world's a different place today than when many of us uh, my age and, and close thereof grew up. Um, listen to some of the statistics that, uh, that are out there. Today, nearly 25 million children live without their biological father. 25 million children. Uh, these come from the uh, Department of Justice. 63% um, of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 63%. Runaways, 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. High school dropouts, 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Substance abuse, 75% of adolescents uh, that use drugs are from fatherless homes and 75% of rapists are murdered or are motivated uh, by displaced anger and they come from fatherless homes uh, quite a bit of statistics uh, right there and that's all I want to say about Father's Day to brighten your time here this morning uh, but it's a different world isn't it and uh, Drake mentioned it uh, earlier the, the biggest need I think we have in this country is for fathers to stand up and be fathers. So for those of you who are doing it, 
God bless you. Keep, keep going. We sang, this is my father's world. And some of the verses there, this is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks, trees, and skies, and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems all so strong, God is the ruler yet. And yet, if we look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, we read, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. So, which is it? Is this my Father's world? Are we not to love the world? Well, it depends a lot on what the meaning of world is. It's used, uh, uh, well, I got from Webster's uh, 1828 Dictionary. The word is cosmos that's used in the scripture. And it says, by implication, it can have a wide or a narrow sense. Okay, And it can include its inhabitants. So a world can have several meanings here. Um, it appears 77 times in the Gospel of John alone. 23 times in 1 John and 177 times in the New Testament. And uh, as you read scripture, you hear the word world, and you wonder, does that mean just the earth? Uh, exactly what is it? Well, uh, it can mean, number one, that it is the sum of all that God has created. Um, in other words, the universe. Uh, that's often described as the world. Um, 1 John 1.10 He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. So the world that was made through him that is the universe and includes the earth. The other meaning is simply the earth. This is the dwelling place of men. Uh, the word cosmos is used to mean that also. Uh, in 1 John 4 verse 17 <clears throat> By this is love perfected uh, with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, we are in this world. Okay, and that refers to the earth, the physical earth. And Christ came to this world. Uh, it also stands for fallen creation, and that creation that is subjected to the evil one. Uh, in John twelve thirty one. We read, now this is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And so the ruler of this world right now, we know from other scripture, essentially is the evil one, is Satan. And so there is a world system that is in place that is ruled by Satan. And we can see that every day as we look around uh, in our daily lives. Um, 
Hebrews 11.38 talks about the prophets and says, of whom the world was not worthy. Uh, they were slain, they were sawed in half and variously mistreated because the world, the world that is under this authority of Satan uh, was not worthy of these people. First John 5 verse 4 says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Well, the universe and the earth do not need to be overcome. It is this system this fallen system that needs to be rejected in the world. And we read first John or we read John 1 verse 10 contains all three meanings in there. It says he was in the world talking about Christ meaning he was on earth. And the world was made through him. That is the universe and all that is created. Yet the world did not know him. And that world that did not know him is that world that is under subjection to the evil one. And so there are different meanings of the word world. And I'd like to note two things here right away, though, that one is that the people of the world are to be loved. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So we are to love the people of the world. But this system of the fallen world is to be rejected. First uh, John 2, 15 that we read says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. And when we're told not to love this world, I think that gives us the implication that that's our tendency. Uh, our tendency is to love the world and the things of this world. Gosh, you know, advertising is always telling us uh, what we should what we should love, what we need, what we deserve. Uh, that's a basis for advertising, isn't it? To make you feel this need to want something. And uh, those are the things of the world. So we have that tendency to do it. But you know, the problem is man's heart is not big enough. Uh, it is not capable of loving both God and the world. And the second part of... Um, 1 John 2.15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? That tells us we can't love two things. Uh, we're told we can't love uh, two things. We will serve one and hate the other. And that's where we are here. We cannot love this world and love God at the same time. Uh, John goes on to tell us <clears throat> that there are things in the world... Uh, that we're not to love. These things in the world, we're not to love them. And he tells us why. In verse 16, um, following the previous verse, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so John gives us the reason not to love the world. These things are not from the Father. This pride of life, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, this has been called the trinity of evil. And I believe that's a good, a good title for it. So what are they? The lusts of the flesh. Um, these are the cravings of our fallen nature. Uh, these are things that are within us. These are the things that we, uh, in a fallen state, 
We desire them. We crave them. What are they? Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, revenge, uh, anger, hate. You can fill in the rest. Uh, they're all mentioned in Scripture. These are the things that the flesh desires, the things that are within us. We're born this way. We have that sin nature. Good news is we can be born again. And we do have then the power to overcome these things. The second one is the <clears throat> lust of the eyes. And these are the things that are outside, things that we see. You know, the Bible never makes sin look good, but Satan does. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, Satan pointed out specifically the only tree that they were not to eat from. And he appealed to the eyes of Eve. Look at it. It's good. The fruit is good. It's good to eat. It'll make you wise. He points out all these things in there. And then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and uh, desired to make one wise. And so we know what happened. We then became part of a world that is dominated by the evil one. And the lust of the eyes, think about that. When uh, <clears throat> Abraham and Lot, their herdsmen, were having trouble, uh, they couldn't get along. Um, Abraham says to Lot, you pick the area we want, you want, and I'll take what's left. And so what did Lot do? He got the papers out. He looked. He looked over the land, and he saw the best part of the land, even an evil part of the land that included Sodom, Gomorrah. And he chose to live in the plains there. Uh, I think this was the lust of the eyes. He saw this, that it was good. Uh, look at Samson. What did Samson do? He saw that Philistine woman. And what did he say to his father? Get her for me. I saw her. I want her. Uh, this is the lust of the eyes. Um, in a lesson by Kevin DeYoung, he cited a teacher of his named David Wells. And apparently David Wells made this statement. He said, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. That's worldliness. That's where we are. <clears throat> Hollywood has done a great job of this, haven't they? Um, they've done a great job of making things look normal that are not normal. It uh, wasn't always that way. I don't know if anybody ever remembers, and probably not, the Hayes Code of 1930. You know, there had been a Supreme Court case that said that Hollywood movies were a business and therefore were not subject to free speech. This was a Supreme Court decision. It was later overturned, <clears throat> but during that time, uh, this is when Herbert Hoover was president of the United States in the 1930s. And uh, that gave the government the authority under this Hayes Code to issue general principles and specific principles for Hollywood. So listen to what the Hayes Code uh, says in general principles. No picture shall be produced that will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Hence, the sympathy of the audience 
should never be thrown to the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil, or sin. Imagine that. Uh, the second principle, correct standards of life subject only to the requirements of drama and entertainment shall be presented. Correct standards of life. And the third principle here is that law, natural or human, shall not be ridiculed nor shall sympathy be created for its violation. Those are the general principles. Then it came down to some of the particular applications. Nudity and suggestive dances were prohibited. The ridicule of religion was forbidden and ministers of religion were not to be represented as comic characters or villains. Uh, the depiction of illegal drug use was forbidden. Um, references to alleged sex perversion, such as homosexuality, was forbidden. Um, the language section banned various words and phrases that were considered to be offensive. Murder scenes had to be filmed in a way that would discourage imitations in real life, and brutal killings could not be shown in detail. Revenge in modern times was not to be justified. The sanctity of marriage and the home had to be upheld. Adultery and illicit sex could not be uh, explicitly or justified. Scenes of passion were not to be uh, introduced unless essential to the plot. The flag of the United States was to be treated respectfully. And people in history of other nations were to be represented fairly. And finally, vulgarity, uh, defined as low, disgusting, and unpleasant, would not be used unless necessary to the plot. How about that? That was the law of Hollywood at one time. Uh, not so anymore. Not so anymore. Uh, the lust of the eyes. Hollywood has done a great job of making righteousness look strange and sin look normal. You know, when you see something over and over again, pretty soon you start to think it's normal, don't you? And that's one of the tactics that are used today. Um, if you watch the news, um, when they're after someone, all the major channels will use the same words to describe it verbatim and what are they trying to do they're trying to say something over and over and over again so that it will look normal okay and then the third one of this evil is um, the pride of life really this is the pride of possessions pride of the things that you have and uh, this is what advertising does this is where they really come in uh, you must be happy you deserve this you want this. If not, we'll make you want it. And uh, it works very well. And so the pride of things that you have in life. Um, um, Dr. Ferguson mentioned this morning that how we used to think uh, of people uh, before we became believers in a very horizontal plane. We think of them about their job, what kind of job they have, uh, what's, what's the size of their house, all these things. And this is where... Uh, the pride of life or the pride of possessions comes in. You know, finish the sentence. If I only had, you know, be honest, what would you put in there? And what would that reflect 
uh, of what's in your heart if you were truly honest about it. If I only had. You know, they asked, like it was Rockefeller, how much money is enough? A little bit more. A little bit more. If I only had. You know, Al Mohler, uh, in one of his lessons, I think he was very right when he talks about moral shifts within society. And there's two parts to it. One is a moral shift. And he says that's where a moral judgment on something is changed some, such that something that was considered wrong is now considered less wrong. And something that was considered right is now considered wrong. Okay, uh, We see that in society, don't we? But then there's another step to it that he calls the moral reversal. And that goes like this. It completes the moral shift. And it says that uh, that which was once considered wrong is now to be celebrated. Now to be celebrated. And the refusal to celebrate it is now condemned. Anybody see that happening today? Yeah, we are uh, in a lot of our jobs. Companies want to be woke. They want to have this corporate virtue. And so they hang on to things uh, that should not be celebrated. Uh, We have Gay Pride Month, things like this. And it's to be celebrated. And if you're one of those that doesn't celebrate it, you're wrong. You're the one who should be condemned. So that's called moral reversal. Uh, It hasn't happened too often in history uh, to go that way. But uh, it has happened before. Um, Romans 1. Okay, look at Romans 1. In all the sin and debauchery that is described there, what do we read in verse 32? It says that though they knew God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Okay, there was a moral reversal at that time. And uh, it got so bad that God gave them over. Okay, where are we today in this world? I think we're getting pretty close to that, where God may be giving us over. Sad, but true. The other thing is that uh, freedom of religion is under attack. Now they want to call it freedom of worship not freedom of religion. And those are two different things. Freedom of religion is a, uh, a public truth. I am able to go out anywhere and express my religion. Freedom of worship uh, is a little different. It says that uh, you go into your church and you close the doors and you say things to each other there, but don't bring it outside. You worship there. Don't bring it outside. We don't want to hear it. Uh, keep it within the walls of your church. And that is uh, that is something that's coming about now. And you'll hear the term more and more, freedom of worship, instead of freedom of religion. Uh, this vacuum that's created with the removal of the Christian ethic uh, is now being filled by things that are hostile to Christian truth. And we're seeing that every day. So how are we to be a faithful Christian in a hostile world? 
That would be the next thing to think about, wouldn't it? Uh, Derek Thomas gave a, a, a wonderful lesson in uh, how should we live in this world. And he goes to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll print these out because it takes me too long to look them up. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, you know these verses. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the re renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? Uh, we don't know this instinctively, do we? Um, instinctively, um, we do not want to be a sacrifice. We want to do the things that we want to do. Um, notice one thing, that living in this world is going to involve a sacrifice. He says, I urge you, brothers, uh, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The sacrifice of the body is not death of the body, uh, but it's death um, to become a living sacrifice. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. When we come to Christ, we are to die to ourselves uh, because now we belong to Christ. And if we look at First Corinthians six verses nineteen and twenty, Paul writes, "Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own; you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body." There's something important about the body, isn't it? Uh, it's it's going to be resurrected, so it must be important. It's important to God. The body is what gets us into trouble, isn't it? What this body wants to do, uh, that, that's the troublemaker in there. And uh, Romans 8, uh, verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's this body that wants to get us into trouble. First uh, Corinthians six thirteen. It's a strange statement. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. And He says the body is not meant for sexual impurity, for the Lord, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So there's something very important about that. Our body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for our body. There's something very important about that body. Secondly, he applies by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, look at what God has done for you. Look at what God has done for you, for us. Um, he purchased us with the blood of his son. So, God is to get all of us. And I think when he uses body here, he's not only referring to the physical body, but I think he's also referring to all of us, our mind, 
our will, our intellect, uh, all that we are belong to God. He gets it all when we come to him, not just part of it. There's not a part of it we can leave outside. He gets it all. And when he says, by the mercies of God, think what God has done for you. And he said, it is your spiritual worship. Now, this word spiritual, I've heard, is better translated logical. It is your logical worship. Okay? Think about the mercies of God. It's only logical that you should worship him. Not just in church on Sundays. Okay, but it's a continual worship of the Lord. Uh, that should go on in our lives uh, every minute of every day as we recognize and remember what God has done for us. Uh, here's a statement. If Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, nothing is too great for me to do for him. That's by the mercies of God. That was spoken by Hudson Taylor. Jim Elliot, you know this statement. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Again, by the mercies of God, we gain what we cannot lose. And thirdly, and I think in a big, uh, a big point here, is we are to live in a counterculture. Okay, do not be conformed to this world. Uh, Phillips. J.B. Phillips translates it, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. That's a, that's a good saying, isn't it? Don't let this world squeeze you. Do not be conformed uh, to this world. Excuse me, I've got to skip a page here now. Okay, uh, take, take the church in Corinth, for example. Uh, it had become much like the culture in Corinth. And the culture there was so bad uh, every debauchery known to mankind was going on there. In fact, to be called a Corinthian was a, was a nasty name. He did not want to be called a, a Corinthian. And so Paul warns them about their culture of the day. In 1 Corinthians 5, he writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy, the swindlers, or the idolaters. So then, um, since then, you would need to go out of this world. But I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Okay? This is where... Um, the culture of the day had kind of crept into the church. We know from another uh, example of scripture that was, there was a young person sleeping with his mother-in-law. Okay, and we're not to associate with him. He was to be put out of the church. But all that to say, uh, so much of the culture of Corinth had crept into the church. Um, Paul goes on to say then in the next chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those things will keep you out of heaven if you have ever done them. Where he says, and such are some of you. Wait a minute. He says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Now you're going to become counter-cultural. And even in a place like Corinth. Do not be conformed to this world. 1 Corinthians 7.23 You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Now there's a statement. Bond servants of men. Isn't that what happens in the world today? We want to be like so and so. Um, we want to honor so and so. Uh, when we should not be like them. We should not honor them. And we are not to be conformed to that. We are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now what in the world does that mean? How do we renew our mind? One thing is scripture. Are we uh, very much into scripture? Is it a part of our lives? Dr. Johnson in one of his lessons told this story of a man named Thomas Chalmers. He was a Scottish minister and he was a leader in the Church of Scotland and the Free Church of Scotland. But the story goes like this. Uh, it's supposed to be true. Okay, he was riding in the Scottish Highlands, um, and this was in the 19th century. He was on a carriage that was driven by a man in a box seat and pulled by horses. They said they were riding, he said they were riding in the Highlands, and they were coming around a curve, and as they came around the curve, there was a steep cliff. Uh, the horses took fright, panicked, and began to pull at their traces. Uh, and he said he was sure that they were going to be plunged over the cliff to their deaths. The driver reached back and pulled out a whip and began to beat the horses unmercifully. And he managed to get the wagon around the curve safely. And Mr. Chalmers, when he was able to speak, he asked the driver, Why in the world did you beat those horses so unmercifully? The driver answered, To give them something else to think about. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need scripture for, to give us something else to think about. Um, Psalm 119, 105, we all know that verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay? Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, it's good for training in righteousness, all of scripture. Okay? So scripture is important. It does give us something else to think about. Uh, when we listen to the news and see what's going on. Uh, how does it line up with scripture? We need to be in God's word. We need to be in the church. This is another important thing. Um, in Romans 12. If I have that. In Romans 12 tells us we are the uh, members of a body. We have gifts. Uh, we are to be in fellowship together. 
to edify one another, to build one another up. We need each other in fellowship. And that's why it's important to be in church. Um, be there. We are ones who help um, renew others' minds. And then in Romans uh, 12, uh, verses 9 through 19, you want to be a nonconformist? Try living this way. Okay, Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You want to live in a counterculture? That's good advice, isn't it? Does the world live that way? Gosh, how many movies have you seen where revenge is a key part of the movie? Um, how many places uh, do you see that uh, people repay evil for evil? Uh, people hate one another. Uh, we're seeing that so much more in our nation. Uh, there's, a, there's a hate among us that is not natural. Okay, Look at that chapter. That's a challenge. That's a challenge to live by that. We want to be countercultural. Okay. One of the saddest passages, I think, in Scripture is uh, 2 Timothy 4.10. And it says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. What happened to Demas? Well, we don't know. Uh, was Demas ever a believer? We don't know. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read in Philemon, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. At one point, Demas was a fellow, fellow uh, worker with Paul. But he is in love with this present world and has deserted him. Now, where's Paul writing this from? He's writing this from prison in Rome, isn't he? Uh, he's about to be executed. He doesn't know how much time he's going to have left. Um, 
There's a bright side. Isn't that sad, though? Demas loved this world and deserted Paul after having been a part of that ministry. The bright side here is uh, verse 11, 2 Timothy 4.11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Uh, remember Mark? Went out on the first missionary journey, I believe it was. Mark had to quit and turn back. And he, he, he incurred the wrath of Paul for quite some time. But now look what Paul has to say about him. Get Mark. He's not just useful to me for the ministry. He's very useful. And that's quite a statement, isn't it? Demas left who had been with him. Mark is still there. Finally, I think we are to realize who we are. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 again, Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's he saying here? We're ambassadors for Christ. We're the ones to spread the gospel. We're the preachers. Uh, this is going to be countercultural. Uh, Christ is not popular in the world today. Uh, and so as we preach him, we will be going against the culture. We're not to withdraw from the world. Uh, we are not to go hide away in the mountains and wait for the Lord to return. We have work to do here. Um, we are in this world, the earth, but we are not of the world, the world that is subjected to the evil one. We can take great comfort in knowing that we have a heavenly father. So there we hit Father's Day again. We have a heavenly father. Um, you remember what Jesus said to Mary at the open tomb? He said, don't touch me, Mary. Don't hold on to me. I'm going to my father and your father, my God and your God. That's what Mary was to go and tell the disciples. They have a father. Mary had a father, a great father, a father in heaven. Um, is God your father? You know, not, we, we want to say today that we're all children of God. And when we say that, we're saying that God is our father. And we are not all children of God. Uh, we are children of the devil. We are children of wrath. Uh, but we are not all children of God. There is a way to be a child of God. And that's the good news. That's the good news. Um, have you recognized that you're a sinner? In need of a savior. If you were without sin, you wouldn't need a savior. As it turns out, we're all sinners. So we all need a savior. Have you repented of your sin? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? 
This is the gospel. This is what we are ambassadors to proclaim. So that's how you become a child of God. That's how you receive the gift of eternal life. And you're able to call God your father. Um, it's a hard world out there. And Sinclair, uh, Sinclair Ferguson said, The world is not all right, but my father is. Okay? And I think knowing that, we can go out into the world with joy, uh, with confidence, and say, This is my father's world. Yeah. It's not all it, is, it should be. One day it's going to be everything it should be. So this is my father's world. And that's what I want to say to you this morning. Uh, we have great comfort that in spite of everything that's going on around us, this is our father's world. We have a heavenly father that loves us, that will care for us uh, in all things. I'm sorry, Drake, I did not have a Spurgeon quote. I realized I, I did repent last night. Uh, I tried to find one, but it was late and uh, couldn't do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how you have loved us that we can call you Abba, Father. What a privilege to be a child of God. What comfort to know that you are with us always. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I will be with you even to the ends of the age. And he is with us. Father, we know that uh, as we read in the psalm, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, as we have gathered here this morning, our purpose was to come and praise you. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for accepting our worship this morning. And Father, help us as we go through life now to realize that we have the greatest Father ever. And we thank you for all of this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ.